You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you, John. It's great to see you again, honey. We just be popping up. I know. Thank God we back outside now. Yes, honey. And today is a Maryland day for We Live in Color because (laughs) you're also from Maryland. I'm from Silver Spring. Okay. That's right. About 20, 25 minutes from Baltimore. Yeah. And what brought you to Seattle? Because, I mean, you are a storyteller extraordinaire, but what brought you here? You know, I... (laughs) <laughs> I actually had met someone who told me Ooh. like in the nineties, you know what, you know, a good place for you would be, would be Seattle. And I was like, Seattle, I don't know a thing about Seattle. And so in 99, I took a cross country road trip with a friend and we got to Seattle and, you know, it's one of those days in Seattle where it was June, it was the middle of June. It was nice and sunny and warm. And so you walk outside and you think, ooh, this is a place I want to live, right? So I said that, and then four years later in 2003, I wound up moving here. And thank God you did. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about some of the work you've done. Like, I, I really have loved just the way that you've been able to help community members know that their story is important and to be able to tell their stories. Sure. Well, you know, when I grew up, my dream was to be a plastic surgeon because okay. I thought I'm going to make a lot of money and plastic surgery is the way to do it. Okay. So I grew up in Maryland and I wound up going to college in Maine, which was a total experience. There's like a million stories there. Can I just ask you the population of black people in Maine? Well, the population at that time was uh, 1985 was 0.3 percent in the okay. whole state. Okay. Right. And I think at least half of those people were at the college where I went to. Okay. So, but I went to this college and I wrote this essay about my relationship with my father, which was very difficult when I was growing up. And I got an A on this essay and I was surprised. And the professor was like, why are you surprised? You're a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm going to be a plastic surgeon. And mm-hmm. he's like, okay, sure. I just thought that you were a writer by what you had written. So it was really this professor that got me to think about telling stories. And so then I took a fiction writing class and then I just fell in love with writing. And so I fell in love with writing. I'd always been a big reader and I'd read all kinds of people, you know, James Baldwin, Maya Angelou, Alice Walker. You know, I was reading all these people and it just never occurred to me that I could tell a story like they did. You know, they just seemed so over there and I was just here in me. Right. Mm -hmm hearing this from this professor made me think, oh, I could tell stories. And so I thought about fiction, and but then I wound up sort of falling into journalism. And I did that for a while on the East Coast, working on some small papers. And then when I moved to Seattle, I got a job working at Real Change newspaper. Shout out to everybody from Real Change. Yes. Shout out to Judith. Judith, Judith, Judith watched our show all the time, and she was so excited to have you on today. Oh, yeah, great. So, you know, I used to work at Real Change, and, you know, that really help me think about the city, right? And when I started to think about the city, it was able to see, oh, well, you know, where are the black and brown folks in the city? Where are the low-income people in the city? What are they doing? How are they being treated? What do they have to say? And it really became important to me to understand that I had this gift of writing. And I say it's a gift because I was blessed with it, right? We all come blessed with something. So I realized that was at least one of mine. 
And then I realized, how could I use this gift to help these people who are often overlooked, who we don't hear from, who are often ignored? Right. So Real Change really helped me do that. And that really kind of put me in the position, I think, to become more interested and driven to help tell these stories of people that we don't yeah. hear from often. And and that's, well, the, one, that's why I love you, but that's why community loves you. Um, what, before, now, when you were working with the AMP, the AIDS Memorial Pathway, pathway right. and can you let community know a little bit more of what the AIDS Memorial Pathway is? Sure, sure. So uh, in 2018, I started working for the AIDS Memorial Pathway, also known as the AMP. And it has a, a number of sort of uh, ways for being or reasons for being. And one is to use art and technology to tell the story of HIV AIDS in Western Washington. And so I was hired as a story gathering consultant. And my job when I first started was to get the stories of black and brown people talking about their experience of HIV AIDS. So that could be people living with the virus. That could be parents of people who may have passed. It could be people who worked at nonprofits. It could be people who had stories about siblings or lovers or partners or friends or parents. And, you know, that was a really, I remember when it started, when I started doing it, people said to me, well, how are you going to take care of yourself? Like, that's going to be really heavy. heavy, right? And somehow I'm able to create a space for folks to be able to talk truthfully about difficult things. And the thing that has started happening when I was listening to people and being with them is that really it was empowering because some people hadn't spoken about it in public, about their stories, about the family members, about themselves living with HIV. And so to be with someone when they're tapping into their truth is actually really transformational. It really was. <laughs> it really is. Can you, you've interviewed some really great people in community um, from Alexa Manila yeah. to Harriet Walden, yeah, yeah, uh, Reverend yeah. Harriet Walden, yeah. to Larry Gossett. Yeah. Uh, Larry Gossett's um, interview really stood out for me because I never knew that he was impacted, but just hearing him, his all transparency, he is so gung-ho with community when it comes to making sure that we spread awareness for this. Right. I mean, the thing that, you know, like I was saying, I grew up on the East Coast. And so when I was young, 13, 14 is when I started hearing about, well, people didn't know what it was. It didn't really have its name. You know, people were dying. What's the cause? Oh, it's gay people. Oh, can they come over to my house? I don't know if I can use a fork with them. You know, like these terrible things that people were saying. And so I was a reader. So I was reading newspaper articles and trying to educate people and let folks know that, oh, you can't get it from going to the bathroom after someone. Like, it doesn't work like that. Um, and I found it was really important to talk to my family members about it and to my community members about it. And so this coming here and doing the work with the AIDS Memorial Pathway was really just an extension of, like, my early life, yeah. I realized. It oh, was, wow. I got a, it was sort of reborn my passion for listening to and engaging with black and brown folks about important, important issues. Right. Cause uh, we're all spread out. So bringing us back in, I think yeah. that that's what the pathway did with a lot of our community organizations from the Pocans to the arts 
right? Yes, um, yes. To the multi- service of multicultural center for multicultural health. Those community people that have worked in those spaces, right? Vanessa uh, Granberry. The I'm sorry, the Vanessa Granberry. Yes, right? yes, Hansi. Um, yes. They're a part of this compass that we have with uh, with navigating through our mm-hmm. community members through HIV awareness and also storytelling because they actually have all of that. They have the lived experience. They've also been added to grants that they can be added to mm. because, well, you know how community goes. Yes, but. I do. <laughs> so what are some of your other favorite interviews that you've done through the, the pathway? Well, you know, Deontay, I interviewed you. And so yours was a standout to me. And that's hard to say. Really, they're all standouts. Okay, I'll be honest. Yeah. But yours was really important to me because you were so truthful in this way that other people hadn't been truthful. You talked about your pain. You talked about how you wished things had happened one way, but they didn't go that way. And there was also anger in your story. And there was vulnerability. Yeah. And all of those things coming together, you were just sitting on this couch, right? And uh, I could tell that it was, it's sort of like a drawbridge, right? You see it open, like I could see the drawbridge to your spirit open up as we were talking but i could tell how you at first wanted to have the defenses up i did i was so scared because i think it's like this is like an exclusive right you know being diagnosed and watching a lot of like our community members pass away or be shunned out like i'd literally only just been home a year right now everyone will know my story or a a big piece of my story and um let alone i was also still in crisis Mm -hmm. so um it was really hard to do that but i thank you uh because i think that that also gave me an opportunity to feel liberated to start pushing the conversation being in a room like this and having a conversation about about me and about how hiv has saved my life Mm. Well, you know, I, the other part of, to, for me about being a storyteller is about responsibility, right? Like when someone shares an intimate detail about their life with me, it's my responsibility to treat it with respect. And when I share it out with folks to make sure it's shared with respect. So I really thought about when people were talking, oh, okay, well, that's something that I think, I don't think we need to share that with everyone in this little particular moment, but there were times when I would go, this is important for people to hear. I want to make sure I respect the person who's telling this story because that's the thing about HIV. There's so much stigma that people have been hurt so much by it and by our attitudes around it and how we haven't interacted with people and engaged around the conversation that I really wanted to do some work around how do I reframe that? How do I recommit to supporting people who haven't been supported? Right. And so that's what I was thinking about when I was 
working with folks and listening to their stories. Yeah. yeah you go. I need to get some tissue. Um, but we're going to take a quick break. We will. I'm going to ask you some more questions. I love you so much, Rosette. You know, I love you're you. watching. We live in color live at McCall. COVID-19 hurt my income, my health and my family. We were about to lose our home when we heard we might be eligible for homeowner assistance funds from the government. We called 1-877-894-HOME and a housing counselor stepped in, talked to our lender and saved our home. Federal funding details at WashingtonHalf.org. That's WashingtonHAF.org. And we're back here. We live in color live at McCall Hall. I'm here. We was gossiping during the, um, the break, <laughs> but I'm here. But I am here with Rosette Royale, community storyteller extraordinaire. Um, and, you know, I had I, I mean, we can go back into the uh, the memorial pathway. Right. Because we were just there this past weekend. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we just dealt with this tragedy out there in Colorado yes. with our community members. We lost through Club Q and you were asked to speak. I wish I had a video. Shout out to Jordan, who did some wonderful photography uh, throughout that space. But um, you've really set the tone, especially with everyone out there in the midst of the rain, in the midst of the storm. <laughs> you really did. And I, I just wanted to kind of just get your thoughts on like that. Well, I mean... It's fantastic to be a queer person, a black queer person. I think it's beautiful. I think it's a blessing, right? I had to learn it was a blessing, right? Because I've been told that it was one of the worst things in the world to be, right? That's what some of my family members had told me, right? That's what I read in books, the stories, everyone's gossip, you know, all those things were terrible. But I knew that wasn't true because I grew up outside of D.C., right? And so I used to go to clubs. I used to go to tracks and hang out. And there were all these black queens, right? And black lesbians, they were fabulous, right? So I really learned from them that there's beauty out here. And so that's what I tried to hold on to. It took me a while to sort of deal with my internal fears. But once I did, I was like, you know what? I'm here and this is it. And this is me. And unfortunately that hatred that stigma that fear is projected on lgbtq plus folks right and club q is just one more terrible example of it and so when those things happen i part of me thinks but that could be me that could have been me because i've been to all the i've been to small bars and places i've been to bars and this goes in big cities. So any of those things that happened there could have been me. Yeah. So I think that's how I think about things that I think that person is me, you know, that trans woman, that queer kid, that binary youth, right? That uh, older senior, queer senior, the person who's just come to a LGBT club for the first time, all of them are me. Yeah. And so that we had a vigil at the AMP. And I really thought it was a sad but fitting place to be because the AMP, the memorial is about remembering those who have passed. And here we are, here we were sadly joined again, joined together again, talking about people who had passed in a very violent, terrible, terrifying way. Yeah. 
and it's just the reaction from community members. I feel um, that although they say like, oh, this is a tragedy towards gun violence. It's like, no, what well, we've been dealing with genocide in our community towards LGBTQ community members and let's acknowledge the whole truth, right? Yes. And that goes for community city council representatives, that goes for people in the mayor's departments and governors and people that are writing policies. If we're not in my, in my thoughts, like if we're not intentional about that, we'll forever, there, there will be constant club cues and in and, and, and spaces of hate where people can just yes. be open to hate. Yes, so. it'll just, it, it's on like this terrible cycle of repeat, repeat, repeat. It's like you're kind of waiting for something. And who wants to go through life waiting for tragedy? I'm ready, like, you know, like she said, waiting to exhale, right? Like, <laughs> here right. we are. Yeah. I'm waiting to exhale. Yes, truth. So what can we do? What can, can community do? I'm just actually really happy that I'm in this moment in McCall Hall with you are you are a mentor and a dear friend to me and um you are a visionary you've helped bring so many people to life right and i'm happy to have you here as a guest to to so you you can put together a call help us put together a call to action what would that be for a community because you do this okay well first let me just say that it's you're very sweet i just think of myself as a little black queen who was running around, you know, making cakes with my mother and taking tap and jazz lessons, tapping, you know, dancing around the kitchen and singing little songs like so that's just who I still think of myself as. Um, but one of the things which I also learned was that we need to love each other. And not only do we need to love each other, we need to be vocal that we love each other. Right. And so when I was asked to speak at the memorial at the vigil, the other day for Club Q, I, the thing that I was thinking about was, you know what? Tell people that they're loved because that's important. You know, how do you fight hate? Love. How do you generate love? Love yourself. I know that's right. <laughs> right. And then you can love other people openly. And so my call to action is love. I know it can sound so trite and silly. We're living in this age where, you know, we're told about we're so divided that we can never come together, that it's just getting worse, that our climate is uh, in crisis. And it's, it's true. We are living it with really difficult times. But we need to remember about love. It is such a radical act. And it is a radical act for Black folks mm -hmm. to love and to be open about loving. Yes. That's real. Yeah. I... um. <clears throat> Sorry, you made me think of think of someone, let alone myself in that space. But um, it's one of those things when we're when we're making these moves in community. How do you do your safe self care? I was sorry. How do you do your self care? Because I've been struggling with that at times. You know, I'm happy to be where I'm at. But when you were saying that love yourself part, it really resonated with me because I mean, moving a mile a minute. Sometimes we need a chance to just slow down. But how do you, how do you do it? <laughs> okay well <laughs> i mean there are a few things that i love that i i try to think about things that i love to do as a kid and those are the things that i still try to do now read talk to birds 
animals. Like I love which animals. birds you be talking to. Oh, honey, come I, on. I know now. which one. <laughs> First of all, I love crows because crows are smart. You can talk to crows. You can feed them. I'm so scared of crows. Oh no, honey. I am. I am. That's the thing. I know people have this thing about crows, but if you actually start to engage with a crow and maybe like feed a crow, leave a peanut or two out there, and the crow sees you, then the crow recognizes you, and then you and the crow have this bond, right? And so. I do that with animals, right? Because I loved animals. So Reed loved animals. I love to cook, right? So I cook all kinds of things. What kind of cooking do you do? Okay, honey. I, I just want to know. Because, right. I mean, I got an air fryer, and I say I can cook, <laughs> so I just want to know. Well, uh, I just got a new bunt pan. Okay. So my mother used to make cakes, and so I learned to make cakes with my mother. And I ain't so, had a good bunt in a long oh, time. Oh, well, honey, you're about to get a good bunt then, okay. all right? Because me and Mama used to make cakes all the time. And so I'm I'm getting a new bunt pan today. I'm so excited. I'm trying to figure out what recipes I'm going to make. I might have to make like this uh, chocolate cream cheese filled peppermint bunt cake. Okay. Because I was like, why not? So I cook. And the other thing I do is try to find someone that I love and just to be with them. We don't have to have any agenda. We can go out and have French fries. We can take a walk. We can ride the bus downtown. Just something that allows me to spend time with somebody I love. That is a great way to care for yourself. I need to write that down. Now I can come with you to eat the bunt cake. Yes. I'm still scared of crows. Okay. But I'll feed a bird okay. or a seagull. Okay. We'll can start, we can start with Let's start bird. small. We'll, we'll start, start small, small, honey. We'll move on. Okay. On. All right. <laughs> so um one of the things that we do do here um, is we tribute our community members that helped us live in color. Who would you like to tribute? Oh, can I say two? You can say three. Ooh, lucky me. Okay. One of them is Royal Alley Barnes, right? The acting director of the Office of Arts and Culture. Royal was a mentor for me at the AMP, and she is such a devoted soul toward uh, holding and praising black excellence and she really got me to think about what i was doing how what i was doing was in this lineage of what black folks had done about caring for others in their community so royal alley barnes reverend harriet walden was someone that I interviewed and she came to my house and she's the only person. No, she's one of the first people that I interviewed in my house. And I was like, what am I going to do having her in my house? But she came in and just hearing her talk and tell a story about her son, Hiram, transformed the space. Amen. Right. And transformed me in that room. And so I was like, Whew. yes. And so now I have this great bond with her yes yes so that's another one she, me too yeah <laughs> me too yes. i mean she like especially it, i i met her before that but um even after the memorial project she was just ever since then hey i'm reaching out i'm talking to you and it's it, i love that she i love that the whole salisbury family they yeah. talk about their brother yeah as if he's here yes and, and it's it's such I wish other community members spoke that life about their community members that have been impacted um, because we are living in color because of those individuals. Right. And we are, it's so appreciated. Hearing that story keeps them alive. Yeah, absolutely. 
keeps them alive and lets. And so the work that they did in the world when they were here in this form, yeah. in this body, yeah. continues on in the stories. When people talk about them, it keeps their work alive. Absolutely. So Reverend uh, Royal, Reverend Walton, Hiram. Hiram. One more? Yes. It's my mother. Okay. Because What's her name? Let's speak. Yes, Florence Burton. For Florence Burton. Florence Burton, my mother in Silver Spring, Maryland, still in the same house, 84 years old. We talk on the phone every day. That is the woman that taught me about love. She always loved me no matter what I was going through. Everything I told her, she supported me. She has always been there. My mother was a daycare mother so and a foster parent. So she raised i don't help raise i don't know hundreds of kids and that woman is the foundation of who i am so my mother florence burton helped me live in color helped me live right. i know that's right never did four before but that is that's what's needed because you are amazing what is next for you well gosh uh i am working on a book actually well, time out. You ain't never said, <laughs> wait a minute. You ain't never said that you was working on no book. I know, I know. I talk I to know. this man often. I want to cut I off the cameras and say, wait. Okay. Just keep telling us a little bit about it. Sure. Just give us a snippet. Sure. So I went to Olympic National Park. Uh, I worked for Real Change, sold by individuals who are unhoused. I met someone who was a nature photographer. He invited me to go camping and backcountry with him. And I'm terrified of the wilderness. And yet I went with him five times and then went on a solo journey in the wilderness, like seven, eight, nine miles into the woods and stayed there for several days by myself, which is something I swore I would never do. So the book is about me being a black queer person and overcoming my fears and heading out into the wilderness with some man that I didn't know, some white man I didn't know, and finding safe footing in this place that terrified me. Okay, can I can we get a snippet of what it may be called? Uh, the working title is called "Black to Nature." Oh, oh, that's cute. Stick it. That's cute. Thank you. Well, um, before we get out of here, Rosette, um, today is World well, AIDS Day. Every day we live in color, um, and you will be back on the show. But what can you tell community in the in that camera that what we, we what we should be doing now? So uplift each other's stories, right? Help our brothers, sisters be who they are to their, I'm going to say, to their utmostest. You know what I mean? Elevate your loved ones. Elevate those around you so that we can all rise up together and face all the issues we are facing and help us find clear, direct paths to love and spirit and joy with one another. You bring me joy in my deepest Anita Baker voice. I was about to say <laughs> Anita Baker, you know, come on now. I love you so much, Rosette. Thank you for being here. Yes. Uh, 
Emerge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.